Will you pray with me this morning? Lord God Almighty, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be present in this place as you have promised, that you would open the hearts, the ears, and most especially the minds of all who are gathered here in your name, uh, that they would receive the word that you have to share with us this morning. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Doug Moss, as we said earlier, and I'm the new small groups director here at St. John, and very excited uh, to get to talk about a strong mind uh, with you this Sunday. I hope you're as excited uh, as I am about it. If you're not, I think that I can get you there, because we're going to start today by taking a 10-question IQ test. Everyone here is going to take it, and then we're going to share our IQ scores with everybody and see who's the smartest in the room. No, we're not going to do that. No, not at all. But I, I wanted to just start by saying that because I think when we hear strong mind or we see a graphic of a brain, I, I think we very quickly think that that's talking about IQ and intelligence. Uh, and that when we say we want you to have a strong mind, it means we just want you to be smarter. Uh, and that couldn't be further from the truth. All right, We're, we're going to talk about what God desires for our mind, uh, and that has nothing to do with IQ or intelligence. It's something very different. But while we're on the topic, just out of curiosity, anyone in here think that you could solve a Rubik's Cube? I, I, I know I couldn't. Oh, all right, we got at least one. Okay, all right. All right. How long do you think it would take the fastest person in the world to solve a Rubik's Cube? How many? 17 seconds? Okay, not bad. I think I heard 10? Oh, five seconds? All right. Well, it just so happens that the record was recently broken by a teenager here in the States, and I have that video to show you. Let's check it out. So he's examining the cube. seconds. I don't know about you. I think I could turn a Rubik's Cube maybe twice in 5.25 seconds. And he solved that thing. Uh, So that's amazing. But but no, what we're talking is not just something about, you know, a mind challenge, you know, brain puzzles or teasers. We're talking about something much more different. So if you have your Bibles uh, or uh, if you're sitting here with us uh, in the pew in front of you, we have a Bible. Uh, We're going to go to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Uh, And if you're using one of our Bibles, uh, that's on page 1137. So Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. And that says... Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That sounds kind of hard. I don't know about you, you know, it ties out nicely because if you look at last week when Pastor Dion talked about a strong, uh, healthy body, uh, you know, it starts there. It says that use our bodies in a way that is pleasing and gives honor to God. But now we're getting to today's message and it says that we need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's a pretty vague concept, I have to say. I found another translation, uh, we usually use the NIV here, but the New Living Translation phrases it a little differently and I think it's a little help more helpful at helping us get into what's really being asked of us. So here's what the New Living Translation says. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. 
It's not IQ at all. It's not what your brain can or cannot handle. It's saying that God wants to change the way you think to be more like the way God thinks. And now I don't know about you, but this is a much scarier message to me than last week's. You know, I can come and hear a sermon that says that God wants our body to be healthier, and that I'm okay with. Yeah, all right, I kind of want my body to be healthier. Sure, you know, that'd be, that'd be great. But, but if the Bible now says God wants my mind to be different, whoo, that's a little scarier. Because my mind, that's who I am. That's my personality. That's the core of what I am, what I do, the choices I make. And God's now saying he wants to change that into something else. And I got to say, that's a bit more intimidating prospect than saying that God wants my body to be a little healthier. So as we wrestle with this text this morning, I want to try and as best as I can demystify some of what's going on in that very simple phrase of God wanting to change the way that we think. So let's start by demystifying our mind. I think that we tend to think of our mind as this mysterious black box. You know, things kind of go into it and stuff comes out and we're not really sure what happens uh, in between. But if you look at at the studies and, and, and psychology and things, they say that there are really generally six major things going on in your mind at any given uh, moment that, that all contribute to the choices and the decisions that you make. And that's your thoughts, your desires, emotions, habits, knowledge, and will. Now, that's a lot of uh, kind of terms to throw at you. So uh, I figure I'll go first this morning. I'll be a little vulnerable. As you know, I'm new here. I just moved here from Colorado. Uh, but I'm going to just share with you. I'm going to run through these just with my own mind so you can kind of see how these tend to play out in our mind. All right? So thoughts. So I think... Uh, that the Denver Broncos have a really good shot at winning the Super Bowl. In fact, I would really like it if the Denver Broncos won the Super Bowl. It would make me happy if the Denver Broncos won the Super Bowl. In fact, I look forward every Sunday to when I get to sit down and watch them play a football game on their path to winning the Super Bowl. And in fact, through that, I have learned so much that I know all of the players, their stats and strategies for how they're going to win the Super Bowl. And then finally, with Will... If I shout at the TV loud enough, they will win the Super Bowl. Right? And these are the things. This is what's going on inside this magic box inside our skull that God has given us. These are things that factor in. And if we can recognize and identify those, I think it makes it a little easier to contemplate changing uh, behavior, changing our mind. When we go, it's not just this big thing. We're talking about changing small things. And so just for a little bit here, I'd like to share with you and show some of the ways that those six things can really radically, negatively impact our mind. Start with thoughts. Uh, I don't know whether you know this, but uh, psychiatrists agree that we have somewhere between 20 and 70,000 thoughts per day. Per day. Now here's the kicker. Guess what percentage of those thoughts are negative? More than half doesn't matter whether you yourself are a negative person or a positive person. Your thoughts by nature are going to be primarily negative. Thoughts that thousands of times a day are saying, you're not good enough. That person's not nice. You shouldn't like them. This situation you're in is terrible, beating down on you. And do you see how that unseen influence on your mind can be something that if you aren't aware of and don't grapple with, that that can completely crater what your actions and what your mind is like. We're skipping around a little bit. Habits. I think we tend to think of habits as being a physical thing. You have physical habits. But we have mental habits as well. And they can be just as destructive as physical ones. 
Uh, I, I had a friend who struggled with uh, closet alcoholism, was drinking, but was keeping it from his wife and his children. And, uh, and so what he would do is every day when they would go, the wife would take the kids out shopping or, or you know, they'd go to the uh, school or run errands. Uh, and, his, and when they left and the garage door closed, that was when he knew, okay, this is my chance to sneak a drink. And he'd go find the stash and, and have a drink. And soon what happened, he shared with me, was he would actually be having a good day. He'd be doing all right, wasn't, wasn't desiring a drink, was doing okay. But then the wife would say, oh, I'm just going to run to the library with the kids. And where did his brain go? He had this habit pattern that had trapped him in this rut, that even though he wasn't even thinking or desiring or, or wanting a, a, a drink, that when, when wife leaves with the kids, that's my chance to get the drink. And that habit was completely destru- destroying uh, his life. It was taking him away. Will, uh, another way of understanding will is it's the vision or goals, the intentions that you have. What are you going to do with all of the things rolling around in your mind? Uh, what choices are you going to make? And, uh, and will is a, another hard one I see for people around me because so few of us recognize that we have it. And I see people who don't understand that they have a will, and so as a result, they end up becoming passive receivers of everything that the world throws at them. Things happen uh, to them, and, and they become victims of circumstance because they don't recognize that they have a will that can actually choose to overcome those circumstances. And so you see that these things, the, the clockwork behind your brain, can, can be the thing that completely derails your mind and sends you down paths that if you really evaluated yourself, you wouldn't even want and in Romans 12, 2 this morning, God is calling out to us, to you, to me, all of us. And he is saying, are you willing to think my thoughts? Are you willing to feel what I feel? Are you willing to will and desire what I will and desire for you? And I don't know about you, but I hesitate. God asked me that question, do you want your mind to be transformed? And I say, well... You know, I know that some of these thoughts and emotions and desires and habits are not necessarily the best, but you know what? I'm doing okay. And at least I know what, how my mind works in these areas, and this is safe. God, you're asking me to be transformed, and that's not quite so safe. That's scary. That's venturing in to the unknown. But I think I have some persuasive things to say this morning as I spent this week wrestling with my own fear, with my own hesitancy of wanting to embrace the promises that God has for me when he asked me to be transformed according to his will and to let my mind be changed to think the way he thinks. So this morning I'd like to share with you four reasons why, even though it might be scary, even though it might be venturing into the unknown, reasons that we should want this renewed mind that God promises us. And the first is this, our mind matters to God. Just say it again, our mind matters to God. It's easy to say God loves me. It's easy to know that God, oh, God died for me. Uh, But I I sometimes think we don't always factor in that that's everything, God didn't just die for your body. God didn't just die so that you'd go to heaven with him. He died because he wanted to transform you, and most specifically this morning, your mind. We see that throughout Scripture. Jesus, when he's giving the Sermon on the Mount, says to people, well, you already know the law, you know the rules, don't commit adultery, but I'm here to tell you, if you even just think about another person lustfully, you're committing adultery. And I have to think that his poor uh, disciples were not pleased (laughs) With that, that they felt like, man, we are already trying so hard 
to do the things that you've asked us to do. And now you're telling us that we, we, can't just, we don't just have to control our actions, but the way we think, too? Or in the Old Testament, when God gives us the Ten Commandments, the first eight commandments are about things that we should or should not do. But the last ones, nine and ten, say don't covet, don't desire wrongfully the things of your neighbor. And again, I picture those poor Israelites saying, it is hard enough just keeping these first eight. And now you're saying we have to control our thoughts. I picture a, a married couple that's fighting, you know, and, and one of them saying, you know, I don't just want you to do the dishes. I want you to want to do the dishes. <laughs> and what kind of sense does that make? Just be happy I'm doing them. Or, unfortunately, in my wife's case, I don't ever do them, so she just has to get, get over it. But, but this, is, this is what it feels like God's saying. It's not just that you need to do right. I need you to control even your thoughts or else I'm going to smite you. And yet I would try to maybe shift our perspective on that this morning. That when we read in Scripture that God wants our thoughts to be better, it's not just because it's one more rule that he can cram down our throat. It's because he's showing us that our mind matters to him. He's saying that it's because I love you and want the best for you that I say your mind is the way to get there. God knows these truths. He knows that your mind is the first uh, step to these things that he's talking about. And he says, your mind matters to me. And it's not just because I want one more rule. It's because I desire the best for you. I desire an abundant life for you. I desire to give you blessings. And because I desire those things, God says, I want your mind to be like mine so that you can have those things. Secondly, our mind dictates our actions. Now, that's probably common sense, but I, but I want you to, to really see about how powerful that is, to say that our mind is the first step towards dictating any action that we take. There is no action uh, that is not started with our mind. There is nothing our body does that is not uh, instigated by our mind. And I have, a very, again, a very personal example to share with you about how I know that works. You see, the Denver Broncos have a quarterback, his name is Brock Osweiler. I got a picture of him for those of you that aren't familiar with the Denver Broncos. He's in the back row, so he might be a little hard to spot. All right, yeah, but, but there he is. Six foot eight, 25 years old, 240 pounds of pure muscle. He is sculptured like a Greek demigod. We have another quarterback on the Denver Broncos, an ancient, decrepit, the tattered remnants of a human being named Peyton Manning. He has had, that infographic is a picture of all the surgeries he's had, and he's had even more since then. He's had so many surgeries, he's barely half human anymore, honestly. Uh, like his neck has been replaced so many times, he's just a cyborg uh, that, that's just out there, you know, barely keeping it together. And so I ask you this morning, if you are coaching the Denver Broncos, which quarterback do you want playing for your team? Do you want the seven foot tall Greek statue of a man, Brock Osweiler? Or you want Peyton Manning? You want Peyton Manning. <laughs> That's absolutely right. The last game of the season, the Broncos were losing to hated rivals uh, under Brock Osweiler. He was leading them, uh, and, and they were losing. And, and then at halftime, you know, the coach put in, you know, whatever was left of Peyton Manning. And, and, and just even, you know, what's remaining, turned it around, made the comeback, led the team to victory, and, and is going to be the one leading them in the playoffs. And, and, and what's the point of all this? The mind dictates our actions. Does it matter that Brock Osweiler can beat 
Peyton Manning in any physical contest possible? No, what matters is that Peyton Manning has spent his entire life honing his mind, learning what he needs to learn to be the best football player he can be. And, and, and that is what allows him to trump someone who is physically far superior to him. Third, our mind transforms our life. This is the promise that we see when we look at Scripture, that, that God has given us a, an amazing gift in our minds, that, that he has said our minds are even like his and can be even more like his. And that the more we transform our life, the more that we're willing to step out of our comfort zone and say, all right, God, I, I want my mind to be like yours. I want to think like you think. God promises that amazing things will begin to happen to us. Proverbs 2 shares this, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you, and understanding will guard you. Without doing anything else, without a 12-step self-help program, without getting uh, you know, your, your life in order, without networking uh, and getting uh, you know, wealth and money to finance yourself, God is saying, if you will start with my knowledge and wisdom, if you will think the things I think, try to feel for the things I feel, then my discretion will protect you. My understanding will guard you. And make no mistake, this is a supernatural promise. This is God putting the entire might of of the person, the entity that created the entire universe and saying, and you seek to be transformed like me, this is what is suddenly at your disposal. An ADT salesman will come to your door and offer you the complete home security package and you will be able to say, no, that's all right. I've got discretion and understanding. Thanks anyway, though. It is no light thing when God says that he himself will protect those who seek his knowledge, his wisdom, and to think the way he thinks. Fourthly, our mind not only can transform our own life, it can transform and bless the world. The entire world can be changed by one person who loves God and is willing to trust God, willing to be transformed, can make an amazing impact. And I'll help paint that picture for you. Uh, If you have your Bible still out, we're going to go back to Romans 12, where we started this morning. And I want you to look at that, because after Paul says in Romans that that our minds need to be transformed, he then paints this picture for us of what it would look like for a person who had a transformed mind. How they would act and think and be different than the people around them. So if you've got your Bibles out, let's go to Romans 12, verse 9. And see what it says. He says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Romans 12. 
That's eight verses right there. Eight verses that Paul used to paint a picture of what a transformed mind of a person would have an effect in the world. And I have to think that if we took just those eight verses, if we agreed as a community to say, you know what, uh, the Bible's big, there's a lot of it, you know, it's hard to you know, focus on everything at once, but, so we're just for a season going to take these eight verses and say, you know what, we're going to commit to these. We're going to love those who need love. We're going to respond to those who curse and hate us with blessing. We're going to mourn with those who mourn. And if we did that, can you not... Imagine how the world would be different. How people would be blessed with the love and transformation of God through us, through our transformed mind. And and that the world uh, would be an amazingly better place for the sake of a few people who love God trying to live the way he's asked us to live. I think it would. I think we'd be transformed uh, and and transform the world. There's only one problem, uh, and that's that I don't know about you, but I can't do those eight verses. I can't. I look at those eight verses, and my first thought is, that is impossible. Practice hospitality. I have in-laws, God. Mourn with those who mourn. I have a hard enough time dealing with my own griefs. I don't have time to open myself up, my heart up to the griefs of someone else. God, that is impossible. So I'm all in. I believe that we would transform the world if we truly had that transformed mind. But I look at it and I despair because I just don't see how I get there from here. Luckily, I think there are two things. Two simple things that if we agreed on this morning, if we right here said these two things we will stand by, I think we could get there. And the two things are this. Do you think that you can and are able to trust God's word? And the second thing, do you think that you can and are able to solve a Rubik's Cube in 5.25 seconds? I think we can. No, it's not the second one. But no, the first one, let's start with this. Trust God's word for your life. And that is a Sunday school question, and it is very easy to say, well, of course I trust God's word, but are you really willing to trust and believe it deep in the core of the way that you think and feel? And so let me share with you two scriptures of hope this morning. First is from 2 Corinthians 5.17 that says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Did Jesus Christ die for you? You bet he did. And that means that you are a new creation right here this morning. However grumpy you may have been this morning when you had to bundle up and face the sub-freezing temperatures, you are a new creation. You are new because of what Christ has done for you. And so God is saying he's already done the hard work. You're already transformed. You just didn't even realize it yet. Because the moment he conquered death, he conquered sin and the old ways of your mind. Secondly, an encouragement from 2 Corinthians 3. It just reminds us that we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory. And that when we do that, we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. He's saying that, again, if we are just willing to look on God, focus on what he's saying to us, focus on the creator of everything, and and commit our, our minds to him and be willing to trust him, he's doing the work of transforming us. We don't have to do it. He will do that work. We will be transformed passively by the work that he has already done on our behalf. So that's the first question. Can you trust God's word when he tells you, no matter how you might feel about yourself or your mind, when he says you are a new creation, do you believe him? 
And then secondly, there's a, uh, the second step of this process is something called discipline. And discipline is a word that has a variety of uses, uh, the most primary one of which is when my children hear it, they go running for the room and hope that I can't catch them in time. But it means a second thing that I think is very powerful for us this morning. A discipline, this is Dallas Willard, a philosopher and theologian, who says a discipline is any activity within our power that we engage in to enable us to do what we cannot do by direct effort. Okay, break that down for a second. A discipline, it's something we can already do that will eventually get us to a point where we can do something that we can't currently do. And I just love how simple that is to break that down. This is what a discipline is. We can do it, and eventually it will help us do something that seems impossible to us now. Could Peyton Manning and Brock Osweiler throw a football like professional level athletes right when they started? Of course not. But they did disciplines. They started with push-ups because they could do a push-up. They started throwing a ball five feet because they could throw a ball five feet. And by doing disciplines, they eventually got to the point where, where they did amazingly phenomenal things that most of us could never dream to accomplish physically. And in the same way, there are mental and spiritual disciplines that start with something so simple and easy, and we can do it. And eventually, it might lead us to that point where we could do what's talked about in Romans 12, uh, those eight verses. So with that, I want to just give you five simple spiritual disciplines this morning. And I'm telling you up front, I don't even want you to do all five. This is just a sampling of spiritual disciplines. And if you would even try and pick one to do, I, I guarantee you that it would make a transformative difference in your life and the lives of those around you. Okay, and again, it's a discipline. The discipline is something you can currently do today. I promise that you can do any one of these. The first one, can you all do that? See, this is not hard. Disciplines, they are easy. Uh, th- this is more specifically or precisely known, uh, actually, as something called silence and solitude. But it's something God has told us from, from the beginning of time. These are time-tested, thousand-year-old uh, pieces of spiritual discipline wisdom. There's nothing that's going to be new here. But the difference is, you know that you can do this. And you trust that if we commit to this, that God will then work a transforming work in you that you would never have believed. And so do nothing. Are you really willing to completely shut everything out? Turn off the radio and the headphones. Turn off the news station and just say, you know what, for five minutes today and for the next few days, I'm just going to do nothing. Detox myself from all the negative messages around me and trust that God is going to answer and meet me in that time of silence. I think any one of us could do that. Number two, pray. Again, prayer is simple. We, you can do it anytime, anywhere. There's no telephone required. And, but how often do we forget to take advantage of such a simple gift that God has given us? Third, worship God. You're already here. I know you can do this one because you're doing it right now. And, and, and I just want you to recognize that when you worship God, it's not just something, oh yeah, we always do this on a Sunday. It's that you are engaging in a discipline that God says is going to transform who you are and help you to think better the way he thinks and feel what he feels when you meet regularly and worship God. Fourth, that you would study his word. It's there for a reason. And sometimes it can be intimidating uh, and hard to get into the Bible because it's so thick and big. But maybe just even take those eight verses from Romans 12, 9 through 16. And that's, I give you permission. You don't, if you didn't learn another verse for the, for the next 12 months of 2016, but you focused on those eight verses every day because you committed to studying his word every day, I promise you that that would be enough uh, to, to make God's transformation in your life. And finally, the fifth one, evaluate your influencers. Who is around you? Who is speaking into your mind? Who is uh, influencing you in the way that you act and think and do? And can you find one person 
one person that would be willing to walk alongside of you. And that when you have uh, 20,000 negative thoughts wearing you down, they are right there to give you the positive thought of God has already transformed your mind. God has amazing things for you if we continue to trust in him and his promises. Having one person like that in your life can make all the difference. So there it is, five disciplines. Pick one. And truly, do not try to do all five. Pick one. And say, I will commit to doing that one thing every day for 2016 and see what God will do in both your mind and in your life. I want to show you that Rubik's Cube video one more time. You know the only difference between that teenager and you? I mean, aside from the crippling social hierarchy, acne, and six hours of homework every night, you know, aside from that, the only difference, he's not smarter. The difference is that sometime, six months ago, a year ago, I, I don't know, but some time ago, that young man said, you know what, every day I'm going to try and solve a Rubik's Cube. And yeah, those first few days, he probably couldn't do it. And somewhere in there, he, he solved it, but it took him 30 minutes. And, 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 but every day, slowly but surely, he got better to the point where sometime later, he was able to set a world record on the Rubik's Cube. And in the same way, I encourage you that if you will commit to one discipline, one thing that you say, you know what, I don't necessarily know where this is going to end up, but I'll commit to every day for some period of time doing one of these disciplines, you will be amazed at where you might end up. And you will look back and see that when God transforms your mind, it is truly the best and most amazing process that we have the privilege to be a part of. Amen.